But not everyone believes that biology is destiny. For many scientists, it's your experiences in life that count. Your upbringing, your education, your environment. Chief among these scientists is psychologist John Watson, who has a theory that is the nerve... Pigeon learned that pecking the disc produced a reward. Then the behavior of pecking could be studied in relation to how often that reward was offered. Or in Skinner's terms, what was the schedule of reinforcement? And you can schedule it so that the reward occurs every now and then when a pigeon does something. We usually use a response with pigeon pecking a disc. Welcome back to Spit and Twitches, the Animal Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Broadbeck. Uh, on today's episode, episode seven, we got Valerie Kuhlmeyer from Queens University. Valerie's the uh, head of the Infant Cognition Group. You might think to yourself, Infant Cognition? Well, infants are people and people are animals. So, you know, it. Uh, also, it's not just that. You look at uh, her background. She uh, is from just outside L.A. She went to UCSD and uh, has a B.A. and a B.S. in uh, biology and anthropology. Uh, and she actually uh, did some work with Christine Johnson on uh, gaze direction in bonobos, which sounds kind of cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, later on, uh, then she went off to grad school and went to Ohio State. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to say the Ohio State University. Uh, worked with uh, Sally Boysen. Uh, and uh, we all know about Sally. And she did some stuff on uh, theory of mind, that kind of thing. Uh, then she moved on uh, and did a postdoc for a few years uh, at, at Yale, another little school. It's a decent little school. Um, and uh, with, with Karen Wynn and Paul Bloom looking at cognitive development. So, I mean, it's interesting because it, I think it fits together, uh, you know, looking at cognitive development in infants and looking at uh, really behavior in any other kind of primate, frankly, right? She's also got a really cool, she's co-authored a really cool a textbook that just came out uh, uh, on comparative cognition. Uh, so we talked a, a little bit about that as well. Uh, and I really encourage you to check that out. So I hope you enjoy my uh, conversation with Val Kohlmeier. Hey, Val, how's it going? It's going well. well. That's all we can ask. How's Kingston today? Kingston right now is, well, partly cloudy, which does mean partly sunny if you want to be more optimistic. See? Yes. And, and in, in good old Celsius, it's supposed to be 15 today, warmer than oh. it has been. Now, what's it like? I don't actually know exactly. You know, I'm, I'm still relatively... Sure. Relatively 10 years in Canada. I should, <laughs> I should know where Sault Ste. Marie is. Do uh, you know where Lake Superior meets Lake Huron, roughly Lake Michigan? Yes, yes, right yes. Right there. Okay. I, yeah, I can literally see the United States from my backyard. And, <laughs> and this isn't a Sarah Palin type thing. I actually can see it, even with my horrible vision. Not for you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we've, I've got Michigan right across. In fact, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, right across the uh, okay. right across the water. So, uh, so you're probably a little warmer than we are here. No, 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 no. It's because uh, no, you're getting any lake effect. You're getting lake effect. Or well, you? yeah, it's it's it'll be about it's supposed to go up to six today. Uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah and like we're <laughs> so we're further north, right? Same latitude. Yeah, as, I just as, thought uh, that maybe given the okay, no, maybe the position of the lakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We get, though we do get a lot of snow because uh, <laughs> of Lake Superior. It's great. The yeah. wind comes down. It picks up moisture from uh, Lake Superior yes. and, then, and then it circulates, goes down and picks up more moisture and comes up and, and it drops it on us again. So we get a lot of snow and it gets really, really, really cold here. Uh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It's, you know, I was, I lived in Kingston as a young, very young kid. Uh, I watched the men land on the moon in Kingston when, I was, when I was four. Yeah. So that's my, that's my Kingston connection. Um, 
and of course, I I knew uh, Ron we- Ron Wiseman pretty well, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he was one of the first people that. Uh, God, I met him at the conference on animal learning, which was a thing that was years ago uh, when I was an undergrad, and he made a joke to Jerry Cohen that I was a better speaker. This kid's a better speaker than you, Cohen. <laughs> so I really. Uh, I always thought, think back about that, and uh, you know, I think we all think a lot about Ron. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I think to this day, and I quit smoking a long time ago. Ron still owes me cigarettes, even though he's you know gone from us now. And I think he still owes me a bunch of drinks. Oh well, probably yes. Yeah. He would always stop me at uh, uh, conferences and say, "I quit smoking, Brian. Did I get any cigarettes?" <laughs> <laughs> until <laughs> until about. Six, eight years ago, then he actually really had quit smoking. Yeah, I, I met Ron at a conference. It would have been when I was a grad student, and sure. I started going to CO3. Mm-hmm. And that would have been where I met him. Yeah. And, you know, larger than life. And yes. that was my grad advisor. So the two of them interacting was oh, yeah. just fun to yeah. watch. I bet. Because, yes, Sally, the, the words larger than life also apply to her. <laughs> Very much so. Very yes. So, so. Almost legendary. Yes. So, I mean, you, you, you started, when you were an undergrad, you were doing anthropology and biology, correct? At UCSD, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't decide. <laughs> Fair enough. But not psychology at all, right? No, I didn't. You know, I, I, I was somebody who, who knew what I wanted to do, but didn't have a name for it, like comparative cognition. Sure. So I was looking, you know, and, and at that time, there was nobody really in the psych department really doing the kind of kind of thing I was interested in yet both you know so in biology there's there's a strong animal behavior uh, and ecology program through the biology department at at UC San Diego and so I had great experience there great laboratory experience where you know you went down to the that you took or your backpack trekked across the beach to the tide Mm -hmm. pools and that was you know that was your coursework and (laughs) sounds okay great now, granted, that beach you were trekking across is actually is, is a nude beach, and you know, little coeds walking across there. We got all kinds of uh, <laughs> solicitations, if you will. <laughs> oh, lovely, <laughs> stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> but once you got to the tide pools, yeah, right. I mean, what a what an amazing experience. So that there was that half of it, and then right. the other half was through the through anthropology, it was really a focus on biological anthropology. And that's where, you know, I had a lot of classes on primate behavior. Um, Jim Moore was there, is there. Um, And then there was a, 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 my, my mentor there, my supervisor there, who now is actually in the cognitive science group. She is a, really a psychologist teaching in the anthropology department and, and really had courses that were comparative cognition types of courses. And she had a, a, she was studying things like gaze following, um, joint attention with the bonobos at the, the San Diego Zoo in the Wild Animal Park. Yeah. So, you know, I'd, I'd go there and with my tape recorder, my clipboard, and be, be tracking behavior of the bonobos, um, you know, during my afternoons. So when I wasn't at the tide pools, I was at the zoo in the Wild Animal Park. So it was great. That sounds, sounds kind of idyllic, actually. I mean, really, you know, except it, for the fact that bonobos are constantly having sex. And I think, you know, I, I don't and, know that I want to watch that. <laughs> They, and and yeah, we were watching. We were focusing on the the juveniles, and they get involved in that. Oh, and, yeah. and 
it's very awkward to be trying to you know, <laughs> use your coding scheme into your tape recorder while parents are really busily trying to tell their parent, their children, you know, that, oh, the bonobos are just playing or, okay, let's move on and see what the elephants are doing. <laughs> As the, parent, the parents are hoping, please let the elephants not be horny. Please let yeah. the elephants not be horny. Yeah. So I'd just be trying to whisper into my little tape recorder while this was going. <laughs> I don't even want to know what you were whispering. Oh, uh, Codes, codes for all codes. these. Codes, I see. Very good, very good. Um, it was, yeah, it was a good ethogram. We had, exactly. so it didn't have to be too descriptive in front of the children. <laughs> yes, good. Uh, so, I mean, that gets you, I guess, interested, as you said, in, in, in sort of primate cognition and into things like almost into because a lot of that gaze stuff, really, when you come down to it, sort of almost theory of mind, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, you know, a lot of the coursework that so Christine Johnson's Chris Johnson's her name, who was it was my mentor at the time there. Um, she had she had great interest in theory of mind work and and so some a lot of the courses I, you know the course material she was covering was related to that mm-hmm. and man I just fell in love with it I thought that was the most incredible question you could ever ask of another species yeah yeah and uh, so yeah and it, it it further cemented in my mind that that's now I had a, I had a, I had a title a name for what this sort of field of research was and right. I I had a sense then of how you go about you know doing this kind of work in terms of, oh, I see, you find a, find a graduate advisor who maybe, you know, has a chip lab and things like that. And it was, was, and was it that simple? Did you just decide, well, you start looking things up and, and you found Sally Boys and it went from there? Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, again, you know, Chris was a great mentor. I can't, I can't you sure. know, I, I speak highly enough about her. I mean, so, so great for, for somebody like myself to sort of point me in direction of, of different people in different labs and, and, you know, pushing that you need to read this work. You know? Sure. She was great for that. And um, so, yeah. And you know, at that time, it wasn't so easy just to do a little Google search on it. That's right. Because it didn't exist. Yes. <laughs> so, so, and you know, all the applications were, you know, printed out in my dot matrix printer and yes. things like that and put in the mail. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. I mean, and, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, mean, yeah. I remember when I, was, when I was applying and it was because uh, I'm a bit older than you, so it was in 88 and I was looking I had read a paper by Sarah Shuttleworth, so I wrote her a letter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what we did, right? Yeah. Are well, you accepting grad students? <laughs> yeah. And I got this reply of, actually, I'm on sabbatical. No, if you talk to David Sherry. Uh, uh, and I, I, then, I, then I sent him a letter. Yeah. And then he said, if you talk to Sarah Shuttleworth, I don't think I'm taking any more students. And I, I stupidly said, well, screw it. I'm going to apply to Sarah anyway. And it worked yeah. out. But Well, yeah. I think that wasn't so stupid after all. Well, it, perhaps not. But I mean, it, it, it's funny, too, because uh, I actually had an email address in 1988, but yeah. very few people did. <laughs> so I thought, how the hell am I going it, to? It's, it's so different. My daughter was applying last year, and she would email people, and then they'd email back, and everything worked out fine. And, you know, she's got all these people. It, it, it's just a whole different yes. Yeah, was mail your letter, and maybe you'll have a phone conversation, or maybe you'll get a letter back with some information. And yes. you know, it, it's it's hard to believe that in some ways that's how we were. Yeah, I know. It's 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 like when students talk about uh, writing papers, and I say, you know, what we used to do use, use these big papery things called books, yeah, uh, and look in the psychological abstracts. You know, it's a whole. Yes. Anyway. You used to have to go to the library and make copies. We have PDFs. That's right. Your copy card, right? 
constantly I think we've money just declared our, our, our we're old we're old right we're old people and uh, yeah. it's sad really uh, I'm closer yes. to death than my birth <laughs> um, <laughs> so you go to Sally's lab and I mean it must be I, I've, I've only seen pictures because I've seen her give talks and that it must be uh, must have been a heck of an experience walking into something like that that's dedicated to this kind of stuff you're really interested in yes yeah I mean absolutely amazing and and also you know it, it there's so many similarities between bonobos and chimps, but there's a lot of dissimilarities too. Okay. And so, and, and trying to take what I had learned from, you know, my observing at the zoo in the wild animal park to now, okay, here I am. And there's just a little bit of cage between us and yeah. I got to get to know these guys and I've got to get them to know me. And we have to work out where I am in the hierarchy, which every morning involves poop being thrown at me. <laughs> and Bidding on, and that's you wow, know, that's intense. You know, it goes and 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 going from you know, okay, once I go and change my shirt now, then get the poop off me, and now this this same chimp wants to groom, and and sort of being okay with that, and realizing now that's that's what they have to do. Right, you you, you can't look at the chimp and go, well, f you. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you can think it, but you got to go <laughs> smile and okay, everything's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that that yeah. same chimp who just hurled wants to play chase now and wants to groom and and it it, it really is a it, it it is a strange sort of you know it's a it's a, it's a strange. It's an extra part on top of grad school where okay now I've got to I got to figure out how to actually interact with these yeah. with my participants here you yeah. know it's different than uh, getting undergrads to sign up for stuff but I've, I've seen them throw poop but that's a whole yeah. different thing um, so what what kind of stuff were you working on for your uh, PhD stuff yeah so so I had um, we had started actually originally with a project that was it was basically on theory of mind I mean this was a time where it was still kind of you know it. it Back in 78, when Woodruff and Premack had written, you know, does mm-hmm. chimpanzee have a theory of mind? There was kind of an upswing in, in work at that point on it. Danny Povinelli yep. and others like that. And, and, and Sally as well had, had done some work, you sure. know, with terms like, you know, following points, following gaze and, you know, knowledgeable mm-hmm. informant versus a not, you know, an ignorant informant and things like that. Right. And then there was almost for a little bit there, just a little dip in the work. Um, what we had wanted to do then, we said, we saw, you know, what so Cheney and Seifarth had come up with an interesting little design that was was with, with monkeys. And it was, you know, mother um, sort of alerting their offspring um, to the presence of a predator. And we thought, well, this is an interesting sort of approach to this because you can make, you know, the 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 offspring can be sort of ignorant of the predator or knowledgeable of the predator. And you can then look, okay, does this, does this other individual that the the mother in the case of of Cheney and Seifarth's work, um, you know, sort of take that into account with their alarm calling and their otherwise, you know, what we were calling sort of warning behavior, but really what it is, is, is a series of, you know, species specific alarm calls and things like that. So we thought, well, what if we, you know, if we tried that with the chimps, Um, we don't have parent child, dyads but you know we actually would have individuals who grew up together sure um who share strong grooming relationships things like that okay. and so we sort of paired them off based on that past history and kind of you know interesting results all these you know display behaviors pilo erections while looking at their ignorant comrade um but not those behaviors when that individual, when they're right. with knowledgeable of the predator. And, you know, it's almost like a cost benefit. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my time yes. making myself very obvious if you know that that's, and so, I mean, it's this, this is, it's such a hard question. Oh, totally. It's such a hard question because, you know, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, how are we going to actually make some sort of claim that, that 
the the I'm going to put, I'm, I'm using scare quotes here. The, the warning sure. chimpanzee is, is, you know, responding to the mental states of the other chimp as opposed yeah. to, you know, uh, you know, basically seeing their behavior and responding to sort of their mental states as opposed to responding solely on their, to their behavior. You know, is the chimpanzee a behaviorist or a mentalist? I mean, it's, it's a incredibly difficult question to totally, ask. Yeah. We had a couple of control conditions. We weren't satisfied. Other people weren't satisfied and, and, and rightly so. I mean, this is a, so tough thing to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, it's one of those, I mean, I, I talk in class to students uh, oftentimes and I say, you know, I can't prove you're conscious. <laughs> yes. I, I can't. I, I'm quite sure you are, most of you, but I, I can't actually prove it. I can make a pretty good guess that you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and do Based you know how my mind works? Yeah. yeah. And then doing that with something that I can't even really talk to, it, it's, it's a... Yeah. It's almost an insoluble problem. And I, I think some of the stuff that, you know, Sally's group has done, uh, you know, the stuff that you, you were doing in grad school, that kind of thing, it it was sort of stretching the limits of things. And I, th I think that's something that more people do nowadays than they did. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but I, it seems to me more people do that nowadays than did it 20, eh, 30, 40 years ago. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, I, you know, on, on the one hand, I mean, I think the – so our work kind of sat there and I'm – moved on to other, a, a different topic. Sure. But in the meantime, you know, there were still, you know, Povinelli was still approaching with yeah. uh, some, a really working on a really, what I think is a really clever hypothesis mm -hmm. um, that incorporates, you know, the, you know, the evolution of these abilities and incorporates how can you be a being that can do some of these behaviors without actually ascribing sort of a mental state to somebody else. And these great, great ideas. In the meantime, great, great ideas in terms of how might you even test for it coming out of Tomasello's group yes. and, and along with Brian Hare. And, and it, it created such a, a rich debate yes. um, that I, you know, that's sort of quieted down a bit now. Um, yeah. And, but still, I don't think it had an answer. I don't think there was a clear winner to that debate, yeah. um, but it, it, and the debate being, of course, you know, does the chimpanzee That's have a theory of mind? Yeah, um, I mean, I think now it's... it's we, were asking, yeah. we were asking in 1978, right? Yeah, I, I, I think the question now, I mean, I think that's moved into this sort of, do, do non-human animals have episodic memory? Yes. Uh, it's yeah. that kind of thing. And, you know, you yeah. see people like Rob Hampton, John Crystal uh, doing stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I know that... Uh, even with those guys, and they're two buddies of mine, uh, the same sort of thing. It's like, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, I don't think they write that down in papers, but <laughs> I think they, uh, uh well, Rob might. Well, it became episodic-like, right? That's right. And I mean, and having, you know, I was lucky enough in grad school to do a project at Endel Tolving's lab, and I, I remember um, having a debate i wouldn't call you well when you're in first year phd you don't really have debates with endo tolving you have he talks you listen <laughs> i can imagine yeah i think even now it would be like that uh and you know uh, trying to have this discussion with him and he's like well no they have to have consciousness and it's oh well now you blew the whole thing man you know yeah. so but yeah I, I think that those kind of questions those are huge questions yeah. um and i mean i guess in, in a lot of respects you know the the their huge questions are hard to answer, and they may be easier to answer in in people in some respects. And I guess that sort of fits into then you, you do a postdoc and you go on and start working with kids, right? Yeah, yeah. And, it, it, you know, it's it, – part of it was that the questions I was so interested in had such a, a, a connection with the cognitive developmental literature. Yes. 
obviously any of the theory of mind type of work, any of the other work I was doing was sort of understanding sort of physical representations of space, or at least being able to mm-hmm. use something that's sort of graphically depicting space to navigate in your environment. Right. And both of those, these topics are actually, you know, something highly studied um, in, in young children. Um, and, and so it kind of made sense to me to go get some more training. How are they doing? How, you know, how are the cognitive developmentalists doing this? Yes. Um, and admittedly, there's a, there was a practical side to the decision in sure. that no new chimp labs were opening and they were only closing. Yeah. Um, you know, same thing, you know, for, for very difficult to house even, you know, you just don't even worry about great apes, but very hard to even house uh, monkeys anymore, right? Oh, totally, that, yeah. That are, that are being used for behavioral and cognitive research. And, and such an investment, it's such a thing to think about in terms of, okay, well, you know, a lot of the chimps I was working with at the time there in Sally's lab would outlive me. Sure. And, and how, do you, how do you solve that problem? How do you ensure, you know, good housing for them? How do you do all that? Very difficult things that I thought, you know, so there's a practical side to it saying, my, you know, my interests overlap so greatly with that of cognitive development, I would be satisfied doing that work, but from a cognitive and evolutionary framework. Yes. And, and that would be still, you know, satisfy this, this, these questions I had in my mind. Right. I needed to answer. And I mean, yeah, so you got into that stuff. And I mean, it's something before we started recording, we were talking and uh, I had a friend back when I was a postdoc, a guy named George Tarabolzi, who's at, where the hell is George now? Uh, he's the Quebec uh, Toile Riviere, I think. And uh, he would, he talked about how, you know, he was working with like not even a day old infants mm-hmm. and, 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 and trying to look at uh, things like gaze and things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, and he and I would talk about how we had to design these really clever experiments because we have these nonverbal animals. Exactly. There's so much overlap in how one has to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I think so many part, probably so many people coming from, uh, you know, comparative cognition or even take it, you know, back to more of a sort of an animal learning perspective would be great cognitive developmentalists <laughs> because right. the cleverness of designing experiments for nonverbal yes. participants and, and is so much of it goes, so much goes into that, that there's, yeah, there's, there's overlap in, in experimental designs as well. Yeah. And you can't, the other thing, one of the sort of key assumptions, not assumption, eh, assumption, that's a good enough word as any, when you're doing, and I've done some stuff with, you know, adult humans and I pretty much know how their minds work back to theory <laughs> of mind. Cause I'm an adult human. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, having uh, having had two kids um, and one who has autism, mm-hmm. uh, when you when they're little, and even now with my son who's got autism, he's fourteen, even to this day, I don't know how. When they were both little, I didn't know how their minds work. With my son, I still don't really quite know how yeah. his mind works. Yeah. So yeah. you know, and I always say when I teach things like uh, animal learning, animal cognition, the worst thing you can do is try to get inside an animal's head because you can't do it. You can't think like a black capped chickadee, so don't try. Yeah. Um, so you have to just do it with, with, with experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's neat that you're getting at the same kind of problems, but you're, you're now like uh, head of the infant uh, cognition group uh, at, uh, at Queens. Yeah. And, and you're still interested in the same kind of problems, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's, I mean, we're still studying, you know, granted now we've broken it down to, you know, sort of, sort of what kind of behaviors do infants read? How do they parse streams of action and things like that? But those are abilities that we actually see 
correlations of how kids are doing at 12 months with how they're doing in theory of mind tasks at four years. Ever need. And so it's all, it's, it's, con, you know, it, there, I, I believe there's a connection there that, you know, goes beyond just smart babies or smart kids, right? <laughs> Fair <laughs> it goes enough. Beyond that, that kind of correlation. But, um, and, and, you know, what, what's been interesting to me is, is, is trying to, in every case, you know, these things that I study, I could name somebody who is, you know, looking at similar things um, across species, um, right. and maybe you know, maybe not, you know, that they, maybe they're they're like me. They're kind of doing a little bit of both. You know, I can point to you know people like like Felix Farnikin, who's at Harvard now, who's in Thomasello's lab. He's got work with young kids and with the the chimps who are there in Leipzig, Germany. And there's a lot of people who are doing that kind of thing in the in the social cognition domain. There's also though. A lot of people like, uh, I have so much respect for, for Liz Brannon, who's at Duke, who right. studies a lot of sort of, you know, she's a, a, a student of Herb Terrace um, mm-hmm. and, and does a lot of work on number right. across species. Um, and that's, you know, so it, it seems that, you know, there's, that this is alive and well, this kind of approach by the two pronged approach, looking yeah. at you know developing humans and then looking at other species as well. Yeah, and when you go to something like uh, CO three every year, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot more stuff now about people, yeah. and it's a lot of times. I mean, I, I think that well, I've done stuff, uh, spatial stuff on, on 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 people, and I mean, I think that Hermer and Spelke, and you know, that's based on Ken Chang. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know. Uh, Exactly. Part, of me, part of me thinks everything should be based on work by Ken Cheng. But that's, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know that I would argue with that. Yeah, Ken, Ken's. Uh, I'm hoping to get Ken on here. He's. Um, oh, that'd be great. It would be. It would be great. We're we're old friends, and uh, he's. It's funny. The first time you hear Ken talk, you have no idea what he's talking about because he's living somewhere else. <laughs> you know, like he's on a whole different plane. And then after that, it's like, oh, now I see what he's saying. Oh my God, is that ever smart? You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I've never never talked to him personally, but enough in his reading that you know, reading what he's written to say, yeah, well, yeah, that's a deep thinker. I was a uh, an undergrad when he was a postdoc with Bill Roberts, and oh, okay. the, the day he came up with the uh, uh, vector sum model, I was there. I heard, <laughs> I heard him yell the word Eureka from his no, office. No, he didn't. <laughs> totally. Oh, that's the best thing I've heard. All yeah, it's, it's, it was great, you know, and yeah, Ken's great. So I'm, I'm hoping uh, I'll have to send him an email and see and remind yeah. him that I've talked because it would be fun, 12 hour difference, but uh, yes, see what yeah. I can do. But I'm I mean, not, so I mean, this is interesting because talking about, you know, doing stuff that people were doing with animals and people would do, well, I'm going to use, an, you know what I mean by animals, with animals and with people and thinking about it almost like really from a comparative evolutionary context. And I mean, you've really kept your, uh, finger in the pie, so to speak, of looking at comparative cognition, right? Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I've been teaching comparative yeah, cognition courses since since I was a postdoc, and and you know, more recently, as you know, we, my colleague Selwyn Olmsted and I, we said we need a book to teach from, and nobody seems to write be writing one, so I guess we will. <laughs> so, right. There's great books out there, like oh, totally. you know, God, Sarah Shellworth's book's great. We just didn't find we could really present that to, to second year students. No, um, it, I've I've and, tried that. It's, yeah. it's it's a little high level. For, yeah, for it is. Yeah. I mean, it, but it's you know, there's no denying that is. I mean, I <laughs> Sel and I shared the writing of our book which is not as long as her book and just doing half a book. And then I think, how did Sarah Shuttleworth write what she wrote? Because wow. Yeah. I don't know how she did it. Also having Rob Hampton and I hang around the lab either. Uh, um, yeah. 
<laughs> distracting. <laughs> yeah, we were nothing if not distracting. Yeah, um, so it yeah. was been it's been it was great writing that book. I mean, we yeah. also were able then to um, you know because of my background, because of Sal's background, so because of mine, I tried to incorporate all the more some of the cognitive development work. Mm-hmm. And Sela is a you know she's a behavioral neuroscientist. We yes. tried to bring in more of that, um, and and at least from the you know, I can speak more to the developmental side. I mean, when I look at the way that fields of study, such as the study of number, to some extent timing, but I'm, I'm going to focus on number. Sure. The advances that were made because of these, the, either the crosstalk between the cognitive developmentalists and the comparative cognition researchers, or the fact that some people just wear both hats. Yes. And I see how that field has advanced mm-hmm. um, from, you know, the early days, which were still, you know, great stuff, you know, starting with things like, okay, here's an accumulator model. Here's, you know, and here's how this links to timing and here's how the, to, you know, talking about approximate number systems. And now with those same researchers talking about, okay, how does that, you know, link on to later math skills and kids and how you have suddenly a, it's gotten to the point where the basic science is getting so close to applied and, and it's, it's just so fun to kind of watch that. It's not work. I do directly, but because of the labs I have been in, so both mm-hmm. from my, my grad work and my postdoc work, I was working with people who had worked, you know, worked with sort of numbers. So Sally had, you know, been sort of the first to sort of train the chimps to associate Arabic numerals with with arrays of yep. dots or food and so on. And then my postdoc advisor Karen Wynn was sort of had this groundbreaking paper in 92 about infants sort of tracking numerosity enough to sort of do what, what we can call addition, but it's, you know, it's the combining of these two arrays into a, a representation of, yes. of, of a sort of approximate number at that point. And, and though I didn't do that work in their labs, I was kind of you know, steeped in it. And, and to watch how that has progressed, mm-hmm. how, how both you know, the sharing of methodologies, the sharing of, 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 uh, well, I mean, you know, sharing theory, that sounds a little weird, but basically it comes down to the crosstalk. Yes. I, I think it has advanced that area so well. I'm yes. so impressed by it. So, I mean, when you're teaching undergrads out of this book, and like, I read the book and I really liked it because it, it, oh, it, it, it's at the level that I could use teaching like a, a second or third year mm-hmm. undergrad class. And as I said, mm-hmm. I, tr- I tried using cognition, evolution, and behavior. And I will never say anything bad publicly about Sarah Shuttleworth. <laughs> no. <laughs> or, private, or privately. Um, but... Uh, uh, she's a no. hero. You know, she's a hero of mine, and and yeah. and and that book is amazing. But yeah, it, it's, it's dense. Like, yeah, it's way it's too like dense for for undergrads. T- it was never intended to be no. a, a textbook for second or third year undergrad. No, no. It just wasn't. And, and I mean, the the last one I can think of, uh, I think was Herb Reitblatt's book mm-hmm. back in the geez, mm-hmm. late eighties. Yeah, you know, uh, well, at the same time that. Uh, Sarah's book came out, if I can call her by her first name. She oh, was, I don't think she'd mind. <laughs> she doesn't know me for that. Chance of her listening is almost nil anyway. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> um, I mean, so so Bill Roberts had written yep. an animal cognition book at that yes. same time, which had some, you know, I'd also sort of used for teaching. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, it never, I didn't, didn't put out different editions of it and so on. So, yes. you know, that, there was a need to have something newer. There was a need to have something written in textbook form yes yes no i, I agree like i said uh, it, it has that it's it's rigorous enough that i think someone can use it as a teaching tool for a second third year class but it's also got enough of a 
it's not so dense. And I mean that in a, that's a compliment by the way. Yeah, no. And I take it that way because it's actually, it's actually difficult (laughs) once you get used to writing a certain way to not write in a dense way. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I look, I, I teach, you know, things like learning and, and teaching the Rescorla Wagner model, which I now think is trivially simple and it actually really is. But I mean, to a bunch of people who are frightened of math yeah, because yeah. they're all psychology students. And it seems to me that most people go into psychology because they're scared of math. I didn't think there'd be any math. We never told you there'd be no math. And, uh, you know, you, you run into this kind of stuff. And like I said, I, I do have one experience teaching from Sarah's book, a third year class and trying to teach things like, <clears throat> excuse me, timing. That stuff's hard. Uh, yeah. I published a paper with Ken Chang on timing and I, I, I still don't really understand it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah it was that was that broadbeck hampton and chang 1998 oh, okay yeah. okay yeah uh and i mean you know that that stuff is so and and, and the way that i think that, 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 that the book attacks some of these problems is it 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 still presents the important stuff and uh you seem to use some analogies sometimes and i like that um and i think the, the whole thing generally is it's accessible i guess and one of the things about this field is that to a lot of people, it's exceedingly inaccessible, even to my colleagues. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, I, I'm going to, I totally agree with you there. And I think I'm going to add to it by saying that what I have found is there's also sort of a misconception mm-hmm. as to what comparative cognition is, yes. what it is as a field. And I mean, I, uh, you and I are, are here talking, I was talking about the theory of mind and these sort of <laughs> big cognitive questions, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, the other people you've talked to on this podcast are, are talking about, to me, we're still important questions, but we don't think of it as sort of big cognitive questions. No, that's true. But it's all in this field and it's all connected. Yes. And it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's the very, you know, I, I, I love the fact that I have a background and I understand associative learning yeah. to the extent that somebody can. And, <laughs> and because that informs how you approach these other, you know, these other questions. Mm-hmm. And, and, but at the same time, I think there's, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes I blame um, things like, you know, some of the early ape language work, that that's what yes. a lot of people associate yes. with the field of comparative cognition. What do they do? Oh, they, they try to teach sign language to apes. Yeah. Um, and, and as opposed to seeing the, the richness and depth of, of theory, of models, any of that, and, and bringing in the evolution and yes. the ecology side of it yes. um, that really makes up this field. So, so that was sort of a, you know, almost a, another mission in having the book. I mean, the same way I think at part, I, I tend to think that that was part of Sarah Shuttleworth's mm-hmm. mission. Her book was yep. to show the, the really the breadth of this field. Yeah. I, I can, I would be, I can speak pretty, I think, authoritatively that yeah I, i'm pretty sure that was part of what she was doing yeah. um she would always say you know that we need we need some good pr yeah uh, and that people don't a lot of times understand why it's important to do this kind of stuff you know uh, I, I mean i remember once my when i first met my well at the time my girlfriend's mother now she's my mother-in-law <laughs> uh and she's i explained to her uh in, in my halting french uh at the time what i was doing for my master's and she said oh you're trying to is it going to help people understand Alzheimer's? I said, maybe, but I just kind of want to know how the universe works, um, which is an exceedingly pretentious thing to say, but I was 23. Yeah, that's um, what we say. I mean, and I think now we'd say like, yeah, maybe someday this can be. Yeah. 
fits yeah. a, some bigger puzzle that's going to, you know, tell us a bit about that. But right? they are huge questions. Like you look at something like, you know, complicated cognitive processes, like, you know, what hopefully both of us are doing right now. Um, how did that evolve? And the only way we're really going to understand that because we can't until my time machine is complete. I've said too much, of course, uh, <laughs> is, is, is to, is to look at other species and to look at, uh, evolutionary pressures and how they have affected cognition and, yes. uh, and memory. And I, I think that, uh, when you explain it like that, um, then people get excited about it and go, Oh, I see. You're not it, it, to quote Bob Rascorla and to the reason for the title of this podcast. It's not just spit and twitches, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's a big thing. And I, I think that these are huge things. And I'm, I'm just glad that, you know, there's this, like I said, with the book and I mean, uh, it sounds like I'm plugging my book, uh, which <laughs> I don't have a book, just <laughs> but I mean, something like this as a teaching tool is really helpful. I think for, mm -hmm you know, getting people interested. There was that recent paper in Frontiers in Comparative Psychology saying, yes. where are all the students? Yes. Um, and while I don't entirely buy that there's a crisis. Yeah. In fact, I really don't buy it. Um, I, I, I tend not to either. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'll be writing a response to that actually well, shortly. I think we should talk because Sol and I were thinking of doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple already. I'm, uh, I'm one of yeah, the... Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple out there already. And I, I was one of the... Um, reviewers on that thing. Yeah, I saw that actually. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like I said, I, there's a couple that are in the pipeline right now that I'm reviewing, I can tell you. And also there will be more coming. And I, I, like I said, I think I'm going to write one because I don't know if it's a crisis, but I think it's a matter going back to what you're quoting Sarah, a matter of PR and people understanding what we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, like I said, I think a, a book like this to help undergraduates, second year undergraduates put a, a title on something mm -hmm. is the important thing. Cause I mean, I talked to my, colleagues that do things like developmental psychology, social psychology, et cetera. And when, when I couch the kind of stuff that I'm interested in, in these sort of terms of, well, I want to understand how, where cognition came from, then they're like, Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I think it can be a very powerful thing. Yeah. Sela went to U of T, right? Oh, did she during, she's been a few places. Yeah. I want to say yes, but I hope I'm not misspeaking. Uh, I have the feeling that she yes. was an undergrad when I was in grad school, and I think I TA'd her in stats. Undergrad, well, you, I don't know if that timing quite works out with how I imagine I you're... I was there from 88 till 92. I don't know. She's, she might be... Uh, she's older than me, and so I'm trying to work that one out there. She looks vaguely familiar, that's all. Um, yeah. And I think she was working with John Yeomans. I don't know. Maybe I'm just an idiot. Over well, the, we, over the years, yeah. talk to her about stuff, interview her, her and her. I will. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I should know this. I know. I don't know enough about her. Yeah, her training. Oh. We focus. We focus on the training of a lot of you know current researchers in the yes. field in our book, and I realize I don't know much about the training of my co-author. <laughs> so, do you have a lot of grad students now? You got a big group there. Yeah, I've got, I've got three grad students nice. and an army of undergrads, including you know we have a nice sort of honor student. Um, uh, program here within our department. Sure. Um, so at a year I've got, you know, any number of those students, but then also just, you know, students who are just working in lab, either on a volunteer basis or, or directed labs. So yeah, it, it, it uh, you know, any given time we've got 15 to 20 
Nice. Students in the lab. I think maybe a little bit less right now. Um, but yeah, it's, and those two, the grad students are, are, boy, they run the gamut of what they're studying. Um, I sort of have two lines to the work, my work right now. Um, one of it being, again, this sort of infants sort of parsing of others' actions into goal directed actions and how they, what's even as a goal to an infant and things like that. So sure. Scott has been working on that, Scott Robson. And uh, I've got a student who's working. The other line of our work is about about pro-social behavior because it's sort of one of these things where, you know, if you understand sort of other sorts of others' goals and you understand when they're not able to achieve them, that's when, you know, you can help. And uh, right. so I'm very interested in, in, in the development of pro-social behavior. And in order to look at it and examine it, it's really helpful to look in, at the cooperative behaviors that you see other species doing. Um, and, and to really get a sense of, okay, what are the kind of cues that one uses before one engages in these actions that are, you know, can be deemed pro-social and, and how might you even start to categorize pro-social behavior? I mean, it's a big umbrella term. I had, a, I had a former student who's now at Concordia, Kristen Dunfield, who worked hard on that, you know, just again, kind of defining terms, defining, you know, uh, creating a taxonomy, if you will, sure. of these behaviors as opposed to just calling them all pro-social behavior because right. thinking there must be sort of, you know, differing cognitive processes underneath helping behavior versus a sharing versus a comforting. Right. And, and, uh, got other line of work. I've got students who are interested in more sort of clinical applications. So looking at, you know, parent child interactions and so on that, that, um, still though, you know, even if you want to study something like infant attachment, well, Mm -hmm. originally individuals like John Bowlby, were looking to Harry Harlow for ideas. So, I mean, again, (laughs) comparative has been around. Oh, exactly. (laughs) been, you know, has its fingers into so many things that we study, um, particularly, you know, I can't say particularly in developmental, but definitely in developmental. But yeah, totally. It, and so that's why I think, you know, teaching courses in it for undergrads, I think helps in any of their other coursework. It yeah. really has, has a connection with the other work, even if, you know, in, in abnormal behavior, studying that in clinical psych courses, I, there's still a link there. If you look at cognitive behavioral therapy, well, what are you basing that on? Yes. So it's based on learning theory. I mean, the whole thing is, yes. you know, it's, it's such an important topic yeah. for students early in their degree. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And I, I think that, um, getting that, uh, out there more in a lot of respects, almost more to some of our, our departmental colleagues even yeah. than, than it is to the students, uh, sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, we've been lucky to Eric Queens to have a, oh, sure. you know, because, you know, there were, into, you know, individuals like Ron Weisman being here, sure. you know, long before I got to this department, mm-hmm. who, you know, had, so there was a culture of, of the importance of these kinds of questions. Yes, yes. Well, this, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, if uh, people want to follow you uh, out on the internet, is there a way to follow you? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my lab itself has a relatively simple URL. So it's just infant cognition group, all one word. Okay. Dot com. Yeah. And there's a link in the, uh, there'll be a link in the blog post about that. Uh, great. Yeah. And, and now I'm not going to remember exactly what our, our Twitter name is, but the comparative cognition, um, we have a, a base to start selling. I, because of the book, we kind of got the idea well, why don't we try to, you know, spread information also over Twitter? That's what people seem to that's do. What, these that's days. the thing that the kids are doing. Yeah. So I believe we're at CompCog, but I think there's a, underscore in there somewhere. I think, I think it's at comp underscore cog. Yes. Thank you. I'm glad you know. Um, yeah. And, and you know, if, if anybody's interested, if they ever, you don't know, want to, to contact me, my, it's easy to find my email address sure. over, 
over the web. And, and, and just because, you know, if anybody, again, you know, starts teaching in these topics and, and I'd, I'd love to kind of create a community of people teaching this so we can work out, you know, what are the good demos for students? What are good mm-hmm. ways of teaching this information to students? Because I think there's a lot of people, sounds like yourself included, that sees a great value in teaching this at the undergrad level. No doubt. Uh, if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at dbroadbeck, where you'll see all the podcasts I do, plus my various rambling about things recently about the federal election, which is over now, so you won't see as much of that. Um, other podcasts you can find at broken-area.com, davebroadbeck.com, mmvh.ca, bestepisodeever.com, and of course, oh, uh, talk, uh, Talking is Dead, you can find the political podcast I do called What's Left, and also finally, of course, here at spittandtwitches.com. Thanks a lot for this. But not everyone, Thanks, Dave, this is great. For many scientists, it's your experiences in life that count. Your upbringing, your education, your environment. Chief among these scientists is psychologist John Watson, who offers a theory that is the mirror opposite of eugenics. Pigeon learned that pecking the disc produced a reward. Then the behavior of pecking could be studied in relation to how often that reward was offered. Or in Skinner's terms, what was the schedule of reinforcement? The main thing is what, what we call schedules of reinforcement. Reinforcement is what the layman calls reward, and you can schedule it uh, so that a reward occurs every now and then when a pigeon does something. We usually use a response with a pigeon pecking a little disc, a little spot in the wall, and you can reinforce with food. But you don't reinforce every time. You're every, perhaps every tenth time or perhaps only once every minute or something like that. There are a very large number of, of schedules, and they have their uh, special effects. the same genome and so they would try to you know, we are a, a clone if you want and, and we try to help our um, gametes to go into the next generation in this case it's a conflicting system and um, for that reason this is very interesting this is a parasite and this is um, one of the many hosts that is feeding this baby which doesn't look at all like the like the host and nevertheless they manage to use precise trickery to make them do what they want.